Better Call Paul is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. Hey, everyone. This is Paul Sarker from Better Call Paul. Just wanted to remind you that the show is intended for entertainment purposes only and is not legal advice. I am not your lawyer unless we separately agree for me to represent you. And the views expressed by Mesh and me are solely our own. Hey everyone, welcome back to Better Call Paul, the show where we discuss the legal and business side behind the scenes of Hollywood sports and entertainment. I'm your co-host, Paul Sarker, former Marvel lawyer and current big law media attorney and rage fan. And I'm your other co-host, Mesh Lakani, also a rage fan. Hey, Paul, where are hey, we? Hey, Mesh, now? we're here at Madison Square Garden. What band are we watching right now? Rage Against the Machine. That was a blast. It was amazing. They went so hard. And Zach, obviously, he was injured because he couldn't really dance or jump around. He basically was sitting on a speaker the whole time. He was still rocking. He was rocking. But the voice, man, his voice just, it's so powerful. And the lyrics are just hitting so heavy. Like, you know, because a lot of music I listen to, you know, I don't know if this is an indictment of myself or whatever, but like it's it sounds cool in the moment, or, but there's like not a lot of substance to it, right? Like some yeah, of the yeah, music yeah, yeah, yeah. I listen to is just like happiness, like house, techno, trance. Sometimes there aren't even lyrics, right? But to hear an, like a poet with a message that's like things are trending the wrong way, you know, and we got to snap out of it. We got to sort of like take the power back or whatever. I remember the lyrics growing up as a kid. I was probably only... 10 to 15 when their first album and Evil Empire came out. And so obviously Battle of Los Angeles was a little bit after that. But that's basically, you know, your adolescence. And I didn't probably know what the lyrics meant back in the day. You know, it's just yeah. like a sick, you know, alternative rock slash metal band. But as you get older and sort of like the wool gets pulled less and less over your eyes and you start to see these trends the way they are, it's just like, it's incredible. Yeah. And, and they're like smart. Like Zach De La Rocha is an interesting guy. So smart. He's just like such a great performer. Tom Morello, too. I mean, these guys are smart and say whatever he wants. I'm like, well, they're playing. Tom Morello went to Harvard. Harvard. I mean, they're like, you know, people can say, well, they live in big houses. Yeah, well, they've made money. It's not like they don't do stuff with their platform. I, mean, I think they donated, I think it was like from what I saw at the concert, like they were donating a million dollars to, um, you know, combat some immigration stuff that they were speaking about. But it was killer. Like, you and I were up the whole time. I was banging my head. I was so, like, just lit up after that concert. Yeah. I've been listening to them nonstop since then. I know all the words, and I have known all the words. Like, some deep area of my mind, like, I knew all the words to all their (laughs) songs because I listened to them so many times growing up. And they sounded like they were in the studio recording. Like, they sounded so clear, so precise. It sounded tight. And they look good, man. They're like 50. Were there any songs you wanted to hear that they didn't play? I was a big Evil Empire fan. So like okay. they started playing Revolver and then they transitioned to another song. I wish they played Vietnam. They played the, that No Shelter song from the Godzilla soundtrack was also pretty great. But did they play the Matrix song? I don't know if they played that one. I don't think so. So there's a few that I didn't hear. The Maggie's Farm remix, which I wanted to hear. Yeah, that's what you kept saying that you wanted to hear. I mean, you can't play them all, and they crushed it. They got all the highlights. I don't think they played Bomb Track, did they? Uh, I don't know if they played Bomb Track either. Great show. Great show. It was fun, man. Good outing with you. We need to do that more often. But let's kick it off. You got some updates for us. 
in a broader sense, this week is actually really crazy because one of my clients, he's a DJ, grew up in Berlin, lives in LA now, house techno DJ is in town this week, played a show in Williamsburg on Friday, and I saw him again yesterday for a little boat party. So things are intense. But hey, it's the summer is winding down. At least it's not super hot. It's summer, bro. This is the this is the last two weeks we got to just, you know, go out there and have some fun. And so yes, speaking of updates, last week. We did a little discussion on Deshaun Watson and sort of his NFL punishment for, you know, all the sexual allegations against him. And I think we mentioned that he had not expressed any remorse to that point. He said he had no regrets about anything he did. He didn't do anything wrong. It was all consensual all along. This and I said that at the time, I said that's not really the best messaging for in terms of like PR. And, you know, a lot of times disciplinarians and people who are overseeing the league and fans like they want to hear some remorse and so it's interesting he changed his tune this week and came out and said that he felt sorry for any of the women that he impacted and if that's genuine great good for him for uh recognizing that even if it's not i mean i guess he had no choice but to sort of come out i mean the sort of defiant tone was not really playing well with anyone i don't think so it's good that he you know delicately walked the balance between sort of admitting anything and also saying that he's sorry yeah, I mean, clearly it's, uh, I mean, to your point, you were wondering why he hadn't said anything and why he was taking such a hard stance on it. So, I yeah. mean, it's the minimum, I guess, that one could do. So now he's going to start playing, right? At some point, he played in the preseason, and who knows how long his suspension will be, but he's going to hear it, right, from the fans. Every visiting stadium, people are going to be, like, you know, heckling him, and I assume pretty brutal. I can't say it's not deserved. So, I mean, we'll see how that plays out. And then another update, super quick. We talked about the Live. There were three players who left the PGA to join Live. Taylor Gooch, Hudson Swafford, and Matt Jones. They sued. They filed an antitrust lawsuit against the PGA, which was heard last week. They basically said that if they weren't able to play in the FedEx Cup and the St. Jude Classic, that they would be irreparably harmed. And they asked for a temporary restraining order to let them play. Hmm. And the judge, Beth Freeman, denied that request, which I think is the right decision. I mean, I'm not taking a position, but generally speaking, to get a temporary restraining order, you have to show substantial likelihood of success as well as the irreparable harm, because you're basically saying whatever process, legal process could take months or years to play out. You want the judge to decide on a limited amount of evidence very quickly within a couple of days Hmm. to make a decision. Because if they don't make a decision quickly, then you're going to be irreparably harmed. And they were saying, well, not being able to play in the St. Jude Classic would be irreparable financial harm. And the judge was like, yeah, I don't see it that way. I mean, you knew what you were getting into. You took the payday from Liv and you knew that you were going to be sacrificing your PGA Tour opportunities. So there's nothing about this that you didn't anticipate. And it could still move forward as an antitrust lawsuit, depending on the live could still move forward with it, but they're not going to be able to play in these tournaments in the meantime. How would it, for the antitrust lawsuit to play out, that's basically the claim is that the PGA Tour is trying to control all of golfing and all the players and everything that's involved with that, and then not allowing for competition? Yeah, so the antitrust is somewhat complicated, and there's a couple potential causes of action. So there's two forms of antitrust analysis. There's the per se analysis of antitrust law. So you don't really have to analyze it. If it fits into that bucket, it's per se a violation. And then there's other conduct that's viewed under the rule of reason, which is somewhat a cost-benefit analysis. Like if there's pro-competitive benefits or maintaining a sport, then some anti-competitive effects may be tolerable. What the live is going to want to do is 
put the PGA Tours conduct in the bucket of per se violations so that right. it's basically like open and shut. And that requires a horizontal restraint among competitors. And what the Live is going to have to say is PGA Tour and the, the European Tour, they conspired, they made an agreement to sort of ban any Live players. That's their argument. I don't know. I mean, it still could be viewed under rule of reason, but certainly... It's only in its infancy, that antitrust case. All right, man. Well, let's take a break, and then we'll get back. We'll talk about Disney Plus versus Netflix. Disney just had their earnings, and we're going to talk about Prey, prequel to Predator on Hulu. All right, Paul. So I'm seeing this stuff all over my social. I'm seeing it on TikTok. Prey is part of the Predator franchise. It's a prequel. is just absolutely killing it. It's the number one premiere to date on Hulu. Literally, right? Yes, like literally. The movie has the most viewing hours for a three-day release, and that includes beating out the Kardashians' debut. And here's the thing. like I didn't really even know that the Predator had a prequel coming out, and then I saw it all over TikTok, and I was confused because I was like, this movie looks really sick. What is it? I thought they were advertising something, or maybe it was an older movie. I'm going to watch it this week. It looks really cool. It takes place 300 years ago, Comanche Nation, and holds a 92% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So success for Hulu for having a killer movie come out. It's interesting talking about last week, we were talking about Batgirl getting canned right after it was made, right? So yeah. eight nine-figure expenditure. It's never going to see the light of day. This is a different approach with a straight-to-streaming. This was never contemplated to be a theatrical release, and it's been really successful for Hulu in terms of the narrative and, as you said, most streamed content in a three-day window, most streamed premiere in a three-day window. You know, the thing I like about it, in addition to everything you said, is they didn't shy away from the indigenous side of this. Like, you can watch it in Comanche. Yeah. You can watch it with Comanche subtitles. Uh, the lead actress is part of the Sioux Nation. Her brother is also Native American. So I feel like in an era where a lot of that stuff is sort of ignored, whitewashed or. Yeah, right. I mean, I like I actually liked how Revenant did that, too. A couple years ago, the Leo movie with Tom Hardy. But I think to do that is risky, but they did it really well. Yeah, I've enjoyed all the Predator movies that I've seen. I don't think I've seen them all, and I'm sure they don't all have 90-plus ratings on Rotten Tomatoes, but I think it's a really great franchise and great job by them. I think I remember watching, like, the Predator versus Aliens. Like, I forget what... I don't even know what the order is, but to your point, I do like this. It was the majority of the cast consists of almost all Native or First Nation talent. It features a Native Comanche producer, John Myers. Uh, I believe that's how I pronounce it. And I think I like the fact that also, like, 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, I'm going to watch this movie. This movie looks pretty cool. Yeah. TikTok was hilarious with it because they're just like, you know, you're getting these little clips here and there and people are making commentary on the movie about Predator getting his ass kicked or their ass kicked. Or I, I would suggest, having watched it, I would suggest don't watch it in English because you're sitting there like wondering why are they speaking English. I would watch it in Comanche if I were you. And that means I would be watching it with subtitles. Yeah, I believe the audio, too. Oh, really? Okay, interesting. I think it's available in Comanche, maybe dubbed or something. Uh, yeah, you're right, you're right. I read that, too. But that's just a trend. You know, Hulu's original content has been really strong with Only Murders in the Building and... Yeah, they're killing it. Fire Island and Story for Another Week, maybe, potentially, the Tyson 
biopic that's coming out, but right. they're they're investing a ton into original content because you have to. But investment doesn't necessarily lead to hits, but they're actually their investments are hitting, which is good. Predator just uh, adds a nice little uh, notch on their belt for them. So I'm gonna go check it out. I wish I honestly wish I could watch it in a theater, but I'll watch it at home. Well, moving on. Speaking of good news for Hulu, is also good news for Disney. Disney finally had a good earnings report, or at least the the market liked it. And the reason why is that their streaming services, well, they've cut costs a lot, but they announced that Disney, in terms of their subscription growth, is at 221.1 million subscribers, which passes Netflix and subscriptions. But that said, that includes like their bundles, Hulu, Live TV, Disney Plus, ESPN Plus, um, which is all kind of like, you know, I think Disney Plus is about 152 million. ESPN Plus is 23.8 million. Hulu, including Hulu Live, is 46.2 million. But the stock is up 13% in the last week, 30% over the last month after just having like a tough time. It seems like they've got some other stuff in the subscription. They're going to raise prices. Paul, there's some other stuff going on with that. They're not making as much per subscriber as Netflix is in terms of right. revenue. And they, I think in the quarter, their losses on streaming exceeded a billion dollars. And I think it was actually three times what they lost in the prior quarter because, you know, it's an investment. They're in an investment phase. They're spending a lot of money on this original content. They just announced that they're increasing the prices of basically every standalone yep. service by $3. They're yep. announcing an ad tier for Disney Plus, which will be the current price. Then the non ad tier is going to be $10.99. ESPN Plus is going up three bucks. But if you get the bundle, the price is still the same. So they're trying right. to encourage people to buy all three things. And the point is, you know, the cost of making it is kind of this, like, you know, the costs are what they are. They're, they're modeling it out, but they, they want to sell more of it, right? So if someone's on the edge about getting Disney Plus, but if, you know, they want Hulu and ESPN Plus, then why not just get the whole bundle, right? Like, it's basically right. the same fee. Yeah, I've said this before. I mean, I think I have the bundle, but it's unclear because I have also subscribed individually and it does drive me a little nuts sometimes when I've gotten the bundle. I've I've got ESPN, I've got Hulu, I've got Disney Plus. I thought I had a bundle, but then I get I get confused between how the bundles work like in terms of login and stuff. That said, I am a subscriber to all of them. Oh yeah, well you should probably bundle because if you're not then you're spending, you know, probably next But that's what bucks. I'm saying. I bundled on one of the offers somewhere and then I tried logging into one of them and it's like you're not a on the thing and then I ended up getting a separate. I think I have like I may have two separate subscriptions to these things. I need to check it out. That's what I get annoyed with bundles when they're on multiple platforms. It can get a little confusing. You know, like I said, streaming is in early days and the bundling thing is definitely going to become more prevalent among services. And so it'll probably get more confusing until someone figures it out. And then we have something akin to our cable linear business. I don't want to see companies continue to go down like media companies and stuff. I like to see them kind of turn around their business and hopefully that we're getting to that point in the market where we're getting people are just like, okay, how much lower can this go? Are we turning things around now? So um, let's see what happens there. Well, one thing they did mention on Disney Plus, they mentioned that they revised to decrease their growth forecast because India is a big part of the Disney Plus business and they weren't able to, yeah, they weren't able to secure cricket rights, you know, so... Yeah, man. And that's crazy. I mean, I wonder who ended up securing those rights because that's a, I mean, one of the most watched sports in the world. Um, and that Indian audience is just so powerful. I mean, I think you can just see from like YouTube growth. 
Let's take a quick break and then we'll get back and talk about two Hollywood influences and stars that have recently passed, Burt Fields and Anne Heche. Okay, Paul, so Burt Fields, powerhouse entertainment lawyer, one of the biggest names in Hollywood who comes from a legal standpoint, rep Tom Cruise, George Lucas, The Beatles, Michael Jackson, multiple studios, Dustin Hoffman, James Cameron. As an entertainment lawyer, I'm sure you have some thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, we actually talked about him in episode 15 when we did the Tom Cruise, sort of our top 10 each in anticipation of Top Gun 2 coming out. Right. He is... I wouldn't say idle because that wouldn't be fair. I didn't know him when I was decided to become an entertainment lawyer, but and I haven't had the pleasure of working against him or anything like that. But what he's done sort of for the field, the things he's worked on, the clients he's defended, uh, he actually represented Trump, but then fired him because he wasn't cool with Trump's sort of judgment calls in, in his mm. real estate deals. But he really did represent sort of the who's who and UCLA undergrad, Harvard law guy, super smart. Worked until the end, 93, and he died from, sadly, complications from long COVID. Oh, man. But he was more than just a lawyer. You know, he was kind of a renaissance man. He also was an author, a musician, a law professor. He lectured at Stanford and Harvard. And he wrote, a, essentially, an autobiography. And I think it came out in 2021. I'd love to read it because, listen, I know, like, how hard it is to make it and build a client base and I'm in the process of doing it and it's not easy and firms are very sort of like demanding stressful places when it's busy it's super busy and it's hard to have time for other passions and things now granted he's 93 years old and probably you know had a pretty significant chunk of business that was recurring so I don't know that he was out there pounding the pavement to meet new clients but still I mean it's tough to be so multi-talented and have time for those pursuits. Yeah, that's crazy. It's like a lawyer slash podcaster slash musician slash, you know, something <laughs> like that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if there's already those, but, you know, Burt Fields, he was against Disney in several cases. One, right. he represented George Lucas for rights to Star Wars and theme parks. He represented, I guess, Katzenberg against Disney. He represented DreamWorks. So it's interesting that he represented companies and individual clients. And he was a litigator, but he also did contract negotiations. And it doesn't mm. surprise me because if you're good at one, I could understand why you'd be good at the other. But it's rare because most law firms don't let people do both of those things. They want right. them to specialize in either deal negotiation or litigation. But obviously, if you're Burt Fields, you have the flexibility. You're like, hey, it's my client. They want to do a deal. I'm going to help them negotiate the deal. And I'm sure he works with other partners that are up to date on all the sort of like contract market terms, but must have been a super smart guy. I'm sure there's just crazy war stories of like going to battle, you know, with all these disputes and contracts. It seems like that's the guy you want on your side if you're going in against yeah. the big boys. You live 93 years. You practice for 65 years. You know, you're not always going to win, but he left an indelible mark. And I don't know anyone that said anything negative about him, which is a hard thing to to really say in this day and age. Yeah. Well, condolences to a uh, family of uh, Burt Fields and what a great career. So, yeah, sadly, um, you know, another fallen star, Anne Heche, passed away. I guess she was declared legally dead uh, on August 11th, brain dead. She was recording a podcast last week. Apparently they were drinking during the podcast and she drove her car 
at a high rate of speed through a residential neighborhood. Apparently, there were two accidents. One, she crashed into a garage. And second, and the, the final one, she crashed into someone's house, and the house burst into flames. The car yep. burst into flames. The house caught on fire. It took over an hour, almost 60 firefighters, to put the fire out. And she was removed from the car, taken to a hospital, stretchered in. Her brain lost oxygen, and she became brain dead. So her brain, once your brain stops getting oxygen, the cells die, and she fell into a coma, and she basically wasn't going to recover from that. Yeah, I mean, it, and it's also like presence of narcotics in her blood, but they don't have the full toxicology report yet. They don't know what she was under. The report said that they found the presence of cocaine and fentanyl in her blood, and at the time, this was being investigated as a misdemeanor. Then it was upgraded to a felony because the person who lived in the house right. became injured. So it got upgraded from a misdemeanor to a felony. And then they get a warrant to do a search of her blood because anytime there's any sort of like right. DUI, you know, if, if she's not able to give consent to or take a breathalyzer, and she obviously couldn't because she was in a coma, they're going to do a blood search. And they did, and there were trace amounts of fentanyl and cocaine. And it's not clear whether that was something that she had been taking recreationally or whether it was a consequence of some of the drugs she got while she was at the hospital, because it's possible that maybe she got fentanyl as a pain reliever, but it's going to take a couple of weeks. Either way, it's a tragic thing. Someone died and I, yeah, I don't want to like beat sure. a dead horse or anything. But at the same time, it doesn't justify the conduct of no. getting behind the wheel of a car in that state. It was during the day. I mean, I saw the video I and mean, the car zooms by. I mean, you can't really, you don't have much context because it's a, it's just a door, a ring camera. But, you know, luckily the woman whose house it was, minor injuries. She said, you know, she was very scared that her and her pets were going to die. She did lose all her possessions. And now obviously like, you know, and hey, it's sad when you lose someone had a really interesting career. I mean, we know her from movies like Volcano, Six Days, Seven Nights. I remember watching that movie, the one with Harrison Ford in it, Donnie Brasco. I know what you did last summer. She did the Gus Van Zandt remake of Psycho and then did a bunch of TV. She was obviously known for coming out with Ellen DeGeneres and a lot of positive things came out that for the gay community. But then obviously after that has had some back and forth issues. In her book, she recently wrote that her father abused her sexually when she was a child and caused a lot of trauma on her life. So it, that's all, it's all very sad, you know, why people do what they do. And, and that definitely sucks. Like she seems to have had a tough life. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, in the course of the week, this story has been dominating a lot of headlines and I knew her, as you said, like six days, seven nights, the Harrison Ford movie, she was great in that. And I'd seen a bunch of her movies, but I didn't really know the backstory. And then when you read that she, you know, was one of five siblings, the right. youngest of five, four of whom are dead, that she moved 11 times before the age of 12, that she was abused as a child or allegedly abused as a child, that her father died from HIV and AIDS, but apparently never admitted to being a homosexual, but right. had a lot of, you know, clandestine relationships with other men, according to her. And, you know, that really does, you know, with allow you like some context to understand maybe she was in a lot of pain and maybe yeah. she was going through a lot of trauma trying to work through that trauma and maybe she threw herself into her career and was like listen this is my escape when i'm an actress i'm on the screen like i have a role to play and it can help me not think about you know the pain and when she got her first role in the soap opera her mom initially forbade her from taking it she didn't want her to do it for whatever reason she didn't want her to move to new york and Anne Hayes was like 
send me the ticket. I'm getting on the plane and I'm doing this because I want to change my life. And she did. So all of that is to her credit. You know, she's self-made, overcame a really challenging background and had a very successful career. But at the same time, does that make what she did okay, right? Her final actions. No, I don't, no. I don't know. I mean, I would say it's definitely not okay. Again, it's very sad that she's passed. Sad that she suffered. It's not okay to drive under the influence and put other people in danger. Like, that's just, ne- I don't think that's ever going to be okay. You know, why people do the things they do. Obviously, I'm sure she didn't mean to do that. I don't know her. But a question I have is this woman now whose house has been destroyed, all her possessions are gone. And would have there been a case against Anne Heche and her potentially filing a lawsuit against her? But Anne Heche is now, you know, she's she's passed away. What happens then? Do they, is it, do you go to the estate, the family? Is that just dead and gone? The police were doing an investigation. Now they're not. It's interesting. So you're right. So there's two things. Let's think of them, break them down in parallel paths, right? There's criminal case potentially for breaking the law, you know, DUI, whatever, injury to property. So there's the criminal actions that the state would prosecute against her if she survived. But if you die during the course of committing a crime, there is no more case because in the, mm. the view of the state is there's no one to prosecute. There's no one that could defend themselves at trial. The case is basically closed if the person dies in the course of committing the crime. So in this case, when the accident first happened and the video, like you said, the ring camera video makes it on the internet and everyone's like, and he just drove her car into someone's house and now it's this huge fire. And that was you know misdemeanor, potentially felony conduct. Then she passes away and there's no more criminal case. So the police may still do their investigation just to sort of figure out what happened, but they're not going to prosecute Anne Heche as a right. criminal defendant. Right. Civilly, it's a whole different ballgame, right? Because that's not about necessarily doing jail time or recidivism. It's basically about compensation for harm. Right. She probably had net worth in excess of $5 million dollars. So she has assets, and to the extent her actions while she was living caused damage to people's home, their property, her estate can be held civilly liable for that. So although she's not going to be in the defense of herself, her estate is going to have to sort of pick up the tab for those actions to the extent the people who were harmed want to move forward with lawsuits. So would it be whoever represents her estate is then now in is essentially like in dispute with the person who's filing the lawsuit? Yes, exactly. So there's probably a huge insurance angle to this too, right? right? Like right. homeowners insurance, potentially renters insurance, what insurance Anne Hage had. But yeah, I mean, when you have significant net worth, you probably have some sort of executor, financial advisor who may have authority yeah. or power of attorney to administer your affairs if you become incapacitated or, or die. So whatever that case is, the, her assets are going to have to be distributed to her kids and she has two sons or however she had that laid out. Right. But there's also these pending claims. It's like your house burned down and your personal possessions and your you almost died. Right. So it's like, how do you even like rate that in terms of compensation? Well, that's probably why people don't like lawyers, because like someone's going to have to say it's not that much. You know, whoever defends Anne H's estate is going to try to minimize it, uh, most likely. And the other side is going to try to make it as, as much as possible. And they're going to have to meet in the middle. And it's it's going to take some time, obviously. But the criminal side of it is is over. The civil side remains. And 
that's not uncommon. It's just the way our system works. But what is interesting to me, and listen, I know she passed away and I'm not trying to pile on or anything like that. It is a tragedy and she had a lot of trauma. Regardless, I mean, she took reckless actions, which endangered her life and other people's lives because she could have hit someone on the road or could have, the person who lived in that house could have died. And I just thought the media cycle, and it's interesting to me because I'm, I'm not really in the media per se, but it's just interesting this, the way the news broke was like Anne Hayes' thoughts and prayers. She's a very talented person, got in an accident, you know, and I know it's a tragedy, huge tragedy, and she was going through a lot of trauma. But I think one of the interesting angles for me as a minority is the media coverage of Anne Hayes the past week, you know, leading up to her death between the accident and her death, I think was pretty empathetic. I mean, it was thoughts and prayers and remembering her and a lot of love and an outpouring of support from her fans and people who knew her well. And it wasn't really a very critical media cycle. It was empathetic and caring and supportive. And in my head, I kind of contrast that a little with, I don't think necessarily the media has the same level of empathy when, you know, it's people of color or, you know, athletes that are engaging in relatively similar conduct. Like the example with Henry Ruggs, who was the first round draft pick for the Raiders, who was speeding, driving drunk and hit someone, killed them. And, you know, no way is that acceptable conduct. But the way the media and everyone responded to that was completely different than what happened to Anne Hayes. And, and really the behavior was actually not that different. I think to your point, we have to acknowledge that this was a bad situation. It was a dangerous situation. Yes, we have to acknowledge that she's gone through trauma and it's terrible. I mean, I, I read something about her after coming out with Ellen in her three-year relationship, the scrutiny she went under, you know, was a big deal. It was a real positive thing for the gay community, but it took a toll on her, she said. I was in a relationship with Ellen DeGeneres for three and a half years, and the stigma attached to that relationship was so bad that I was fired from a multi-million dollar picture deal, and I did not work in a studio picture for 10 years, Hayes said in an episode of Dancing with the Stars. So, I mean, it just seems like it was. it's just been a volatile life for, for the woman. It's a fickle business for sure. And if she got sort of blacklisted because she, you know, Hollywood wasn't ready for, you know, the LBGTQ right. movement, then... That's a shame, and that's not her fault. And I think she did triumph over a lot of the trauma that she had and coming from a background that was yes. somewhat insular, or at least her parents, to being more sort of accepting and tolerant and loving and caring. I mean, she should be praised for all of that stuff. But the media cycle, when Henry Ruggs did that, did what he did, he survived, but he did. someone did die. The car he hit, the driver died. And it's a tragedy, but the media cycle was not favorable to him at all. Like all right, the stories right. were just like, you know, lock him up, throw away the key and the so entitled and this and that. Yeah, and yeah. It's interesting how the things are portrayed depending. You know, I think there's implicit bias. There, there must be. It is sad. Sad for everyone who's family member of Anne Hayes and people who cared about her. And she had two kids. That's just always tragic. You leave two kids and... Um, I'm sure she was a loving mother, and, and um, it sucks. It does. <sighs> Sorry to end it on such a sad note, BCP fans. It's just It was a tough week this week. And we wanted to pay tribute to Burt Fields for having such a legendary career and being such a great example of a multi-talented entertainment lawyer. And Anne Heche, tragic passing and unfortunate circumstances, there's no way to put a positive light on that. 
but we did want to talk about it. Thanks for listening, everyone. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Follow us on Better Call Paul, the podcast on Instagram. This episode is edited and produced by Valentino Rivera and Marco Seiler Gonzalez. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week. Take care, everyone.